Good morning. Thanks. Got one enthusiastic woo from the front row. That was nice. Um, this past week, um, something happened that, that I just need to share with you. And before I share it with you, I just have to start off by saying, do not be alarmed at the first sentence of this story. We did some random drug tests at Temple Christian School this week. Don't be alarmed. I just said, don't be alarmed. Research has shown that educational institutions that do random drug check, uh, drug tests are a part of confronting the opioid crisis and helping confront uh, the, the abuse of drugs among minors. And so we just do that occasionally, not because of any alarm, uh, not because we are concerned about anything. It's just something that we randomly do, hence the term random. So don't be alarmed. It's just a thing we do. And everyone passed, by the way. Uh, yeah, that's good. All right. The fact that you're applauding that much makes me think you were concerned. We weren't surprised. But apparently you are. So um, what happened is on the day that we had decided to do these random drug tests, uh, some of the administrators were assigned to uh, administer these tests. And they were going to do so uh, using the restrooms here in the church foyer. And so, uh, unbeknownst to them, uh, our newest staff member, Nikki Riley, was over here in the cafe getting ready for uh, this pack, past week was the launch of our new young adult ministry, uh, which had an incredible launch and we are super thrilled about. And she was over here getting some things ready for that. And as she's kind of over there in the cafe area, uh, Shelly Schweitzer, which is the principal here at Temple Christian School, comes walking in and sees Nikki there and says, oh, are you here to help me? And because Nikki is Nikki, she's like, nope, but I'd be happy to. What can I do to help? Shelly said, well, we're about to do some drug tests. Nikki heard, we're about to do some hearing tests. So Nikki replies, very excited and animated, oh great, I didn't know you knew how to give those. (laughs) Shelly's like, well, you just kind of follow the instructions. (laughs) And then Nikki says this, do you think when you're done, you can please test me? Because I think I have a problem. (laughs) And she couldn't understand why Shelly froze (laughs) and was speechless. She's probably thinking... I need to call Pastor Doug. There's a problem with the new hire. And she's like, sure, I guess. I mean, you just... And so now Shelly pulls out a drug test with the urine sample cup clearly visible. And Nikki goes, oh, wait, I think we have a problem. I don't think that's how you check your hearing. That story 
That story is important for two reasons. First of all, because Nikki clearly does need a hearing test. As a matter of fact, I think that might have been one and you failed. The second reason I think that's an important story for us this morning is I think it's possible to have a full-on conversation and not actually be on the same page. And what we've been dealing with in Acts chapter 15 is way too important to rush past and not slow down one more morning and just make sure we're on the same page. So grab your Bible if you would, please. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you today. Please keep that. Uh, but we're going to invite you to join with us in our tradition as we hold up our Bibles and say a creed together before we dive into the text this morning. So hold up your Bibles and say this with me. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind. And give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Acts chapter 15 again. We'll finally round this chapter out actually next week. Uh, I know we've been taking our time to move through this, but quite frankly, what's at stake in this text is nothing short of, of eternal value. So in case you're a guest today or in case you've slept since then, quick review of kind of where we find ourselves. Let's look at verse number one of Acts chapter 15 just to make sure we're on the same page. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. The most important topic in the universe. If there is a more important one, I have no clue what it possibly could be. How is a regular person saved? Like a normal, ordinary, not perfect person. How are we saved from sin in the presence of a holy God? Most important conversation I think that could ever be had. And, and, and what's happening is you've got people who've believed the gospel of grace who are now adding human works to salvation. There, the text says there was no little debate. There's a whole lot of debate. There's a whole lot of contention around this issue. How can a person be saved? There's so much debate around this that we have the first glimpse of a church council. The All the leaders, the apostles, the elders, and the most influential early church leaders gather together at Jerusalem to discuss how can a person be saved. Pretty important conversation. And, and the, the first person to get up and speak is none other than Peter, who was the first person that we see taking the gospel because of a vision from God to regular, ordinary, Gentile people. And here's how he ends his presentation to the board. Verse number 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will, period, hard stop. We will be saved by grace and nothing else. We've experienced that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ 
That has saved us from our sins. Faith in the work of Jesus alone has saved us from our sins. And by the way, that's going to be true for them too. Listen, the the way that we're going to be saved is the way that we're all saved, not through ourselves, not through anything that we can say, do, think, or feel. To God be the glory. He saves us by His grace, through His grace, and in His grace. And it's a good thing. Because if there was any and, we'd be toast. He saves us by His grace and keeping the law, or and this, or and that. I'm just telling you there's no and. He saves us by his grace. One of the things I'm going to ask you guys to discuss together in your community group on Wednesday is how would you explain the Christian faith in 15 seconds or less? And let me just tell you, you can quote Acts chapter 15, verse number 11 and cheat. This is the cheat code for that question. Now, we're going to ask you then and put it in your own words. So (laughs) that cheat doesn't uh, answer the question. How would you explain what we believe in 15 seconds? We're rescued by grace. That's a lot less than 15 seconds. There it is. To God be the glory. The Apostle Paul stands up and begins to to explain how more and more Gentiles have come to faith in Jesus. And then the the half-brother of Jesus, Jesus' little brother, um, gets up and says, enough. Let's bring this thing to a conclusion. He honors Peter's testimony. He quotes from Amos, the prophet. And then he says this in verse number 19, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Thank you, Jesus. Man, let's be in the business of removing obstacles as people are coming to faith, saving faith in Jesus. What a glorious reality. Imagine if his judgment had been different. If, and we, we, we joked and laughed about this two weeks ago, but I want to say this very seriously. Can you imagine if they came to the conclusion, yes, circumcision is necessary? Do you think that 2,000 years ago we would be declaring the goodness of God in this place? I don't think the gospel ever would have reached this continent. What if they would have gotten it wrong? So he says, that's my judgment. Real quick, we're going to read the, the next part of, of the passage after this. Um, j- just so, again, so we're on the same page. It seemed good, uh, verse 22, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, who is called Barsabbas. And if your name was Judas and you were a Christian, wouldn't you want to be called something else too? And Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Dear people who are confused about circumcision, comma. (laughs) The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who have the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, greetings. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you, there's that same word being used again. They've troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. Love how in the letter they throw those dudes under the bus. They were like, listen, we said drug test, not hearing test. I don't know what their problem is, right? It seemed good to us 
having come to one accord. That's what happens when we let God's word guide us back to the gospel. We'll end up in one accord. The division I see among brothers and sisters in Christ today is because we've not centered our arguments around God's word and around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're of one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Saul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think he's trying to to speak to the credibility of the messenger a little bit there. We've therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So you've got this written word and we're going to give testimony to this. Here it is. But this seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Long pause. Longer pause. More important pause. And to us. (laughs) Did anybody else follow that? So it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. And since he is what matters... We said, okay, to, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. They should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Deuces. So they're sent off. They went down to Antioch, having gathered the congregation together. They delivered the letter. And when they had read it, I want you to notice this this is where we're going to springboard into a little bit of a different conversation this morning. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. I believe when our message is clear that it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ the people of God are going to rejoice in that encouragement. And if that message ever gets distracted or muddied by the works of the flesh, even good works like the law of Moses, we've not just lost the gospel in some theological, ethereal way. We've lost a reason to rejoice. The encouragement is is the purity of the message. And and I, I don't want to rush past this this morning because... I want us to have a heart conversation today. Today is a, is a weird morning. Um, we, we're, we're moving verse by verse through the book of Acts here, and we're kind of just parking on this idea this morning. And if you'll let me for a few minutes, I'd like to just talk to you from my heart. Because I believe that we're in a lifelong battle to protect the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until Jesus comes and makes his kingdom fully visible, there will be a drift away from the pure gospel message to the works of the flesh. The great reformer Martin Luther said we are hardwired to drift from grace back to the law. Like it's hardwired in our flesh that we receive the gospel with joy and then go back to what can I do to impress God? We are hardwired to drift. You drive a car with bad alignment, right? Our flesh is out of alignment towards itself. Our flesh receives the gospel and says, thank goodness. But now what do I need to do? (laughs) We, We drift back. Yesterday, 
my son and I, Ethan, were out doing some student driving. Can you remember back to when you were a student driver? Do you remember how weird it was? Surely I'm not the only person who felt this. It was such a strange thing to get the feel for your vehicle to be in the center of your lane. Do you remember? Can you remember back that far? Kathy, when you were riding that horse and buggy. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. Okay. (laughs) I love you so much. (laughs) See, we just drifted from the gospel. (laughs) It's a difficult thing as a student driver to get the feel of, of being in your lane. And yesterday... I experienced that not as a student driver, but as a passenger. Yeah. Like most student drivers, Ethan was just struggling to get that feel, and he kept drifting towards the right. And I kept I kept going, uh, you know, I'm steering my invisible steering wheel in the seat. Oh, buddy, you're drifting, you're drifting, you know. And and it's a weird thing because you, you don't want to hug the yellow line, and then, you know, somebody's coming the other way. But we were driving on a four-lane road, so there were cars in the lane next to us. And I'm like, but I really would rather not smell her perfume. Can we get away from that car a little bit, you know? So I told him, I said, I'm going to make a sign that says stay in your lane. And I'm just going to hold it up like an auctioneer thing every time you start drifting. I'm just going to hold it up, right? And essentially this morning, I want to appeal to us as the followers of Jesus That for the sake of eternity and for the glory of God, let's stay in the lane of the gospel and fight the drift of our flesh with everything in us. Like, let's pour out our lives to stay in the lane of the gospel. Can I just share my heart about that for a few minutes? I've lived four and a half decades And I've watched this thing called the church be prone to drift towards things of flesh, not things of the word. I want to share some of those things. The first one is this style. I've watched the church drift from obsession with the gospel to obsession with a flavor of it. So when I grew up, you were literally considered more spiritual if you wore a suit and tie to church and less spiritual if you didn't. And it's easy for us to go, well, thank goodness we're not that way anymore. But we almost think we're more spiritual that we don't wear a suit and tie now. And it's the same flesh in reverse. Can we be real about that? C.S. Lewis said we look at Topics like circumcision being a divisive thing, and we roll our eyes. He calls that chronological snobbery. That we're like, we would never. Meanwhile, some of us go to lunch after church, and we judge the people who walk in based on, oh, they went to a fancy church today. You must feel good about yourself. By God, I look like a slob. I'm more spiritual than you. Like, what does it even mean? Or the style of music. When I grew up, the style of music was like more spiritual than other styles of music. A lot of you grew up the way that I did, where it was more spiritual to sing out of a hymnal. It was more spiritual to have an organ and a choir with robes on. 
but now we've gotten too cool for school and we actually think that's less spiritual than us. Right? And the reality is it's just a music style. Who cares? Like whatever style a church decides it wants to be, just do it to the best of your ability to the glory of God. And can we move on? Like who cares? Do you know that some of the music that we do at this church where I'm the pastor isn't my preference? It's not about me. Who cares? I've got really weird eclectic taste in music. On the same day, on, on the same day, I might listen to Frank Sinatra, Bon Jovi, and Hillsong, and like, I, I, it, it's fine, right? And who cares if my preference is scratched when I come to worship Jesus? Sometimes I've, I've been a little worried for God. Like, what's he going to do on that great day? Because three-fourths of the people are going to be like, I don't like that. It's too loud. And it's... Right? That's why he's going to make us a new creation before the music starts. Because he's like, shut up. Get over yourself. If you've got music, you like, sweet. Get in your car and turn on the radio. But let's come worship Jesus here. And let's not think that the way we do it is more spiritual than somebody else. Amen? We've almost turned style in the modern age into if you're not, if your church is not trendy enough, you must not be spiritual enough. And that's a terrifying reality to me. Years ago, I think I've said this before. Years ago, I was on staff at a church plant, and um, we were a modern-style church. But our church planner just said, he said, you know, I just can't imagine that one day I'm going to stand before the martyrs of the church and say, in our generation, our mission was to make Jesus sexy. Like, we're, we're not we're trying to be cool. Now, we're, hopefully, we're being normal and approachable and relatable as we declare the story of Jesus. But if some people prefer, prefer something a little more stuffy and stale or whatever, sweet. It's all good. May we not worship style and preference over the gospel. Can we please stay in the lane? It's interesting that this, this decision by the church of they didn't just say no. Like that letter could have been really short. No. Parenthesis, circumcision is not required in case you didn't want the no meant. The end. Farewell. Whatever, right? Could have been a lot shorter. But they said, listen, let, let's not partake in idolatrous things. Because we believe, if you remember from last week, even the sexual immorality that's referenced was a part of pagan worship. And how interesting that idolatry is still the struggle in the church today. That we've made idols out of preference or out of style. Our... Our Jerusalem council here at Temple was somewhere around 2006 where the decision was made, we're going to shift a little bit of our style and surrender to our preferences and we're going to choose to be a, a less stuffy church. And I'm told that there was no little debate. <laughs> As a matter of fact, about a hundred people left. You know, a thing like that can be the end of a church. 
And here we are 16 years later, still seeing people come to know Jesus. To God be the glory. And there's a handful of people in this room who chose to stay and to stay on mission, not on tradition. This morning, I want to publicly say thank you to the Harrises and to the Strouds and to Monica and to Kathy, even though I pick on you a lot, and to Tana, those of you who stayed on mission rather than on tradition. Because what we're doing today is bearing fruit on your sacrifice. And I think the reason I want us to pause here before we move on from this text is when the moment comes for us to sacrifice our preference to reach the next generation, may we be as ready to sacrifice as they were. May we honor their sacrifice and say, what will it take to stay in the right lane? Another drift that I've seen become divisive and idolatrous in the church is the idea of theological camps. Like we belong to this camp and you belong to that camp and so we're against you. We're the Calvinists. We're reformed. So we're smarter than you. Um, we're the King James only people. It's the only English Bible. This is Jesus spoke English and it was the King's English. We believe in that. And if you're not using the 1611 King James, you're probably not even saved. I grew up that way. We were really good at camps. And today some of the camps are if you don't speak in tongues, you're not spiritual. Or if you don't have these gifts, you're not spiritual. And I think I would just simply say, stay in your lane. <laughs> Let's maintain a focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another drift that I've seen, and then I didn't see, and then now I'm seeing all over again, is a drift towards politics becoming more central in the message than the message. Um, I, I just want to say this. I, I so believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, it colors everything I see. Like my view of what Jesus has done through his death, burial, and resurrection changes the way I view my marriage. Do you agree with this? Changes the way I view parenting my sons. It changes the way I view my finances. It changes the way I view where I live. It's the only reason I live in Fort Worth. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed my view of everything, and that has to include my, politi- my political views, right? Because politics are moral. Let's make no mistake. Laws are moral. Can we agree on that? So my faith should affect the way that I view moral topics, right? But my view of politics will always remain secondary to my view of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when I look at our politicians today, what I think they desperately need are not to agree with my morals. They need to be saved. Like they need heart change from the inside out. That's my political view. But I want to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that my prayer, my heart's desire is that a person who thinks very highly of Donald Trump can worship Jesus in this place sitting next to a person who thinks highly of Nancy Pelosi 
And if you heard either of those two things and thought they can't worship Jesus, that's part of the problem. Amen. Let's stay in the lane of making much of Jesus. Another thing that is that has become, and this is, I just, I've watched the topic of alcohol be the modern day circumcision. People's view on whether or not it's okay to have a drink. Um, I, I grew up in an environment of teetotalers. Do you know what that means? It means any drip of any substance with any alcohol in it is completely evil unless it's NyQuil. And even then, you better have moderation or by God, we will church discipline you. There's a good reason that there's logic behind the position of a teetotaler. The abuse of alcohol is a dangerous thing. The scriptures warn against the abuse of alcohol. One in six people who drink abuse alcohol. God bless you. One out of ten. Was that conviction of the Holy Spirit? Do we need to talk to your parents? One in ten young people grow up in a home where there is alcohol abuse in the United States. It's estimated about 100,000 Americans die every year from abuse of alcohol, according to the New York Times. So it makes sense that the people who raised me would be like, just stay away from it. The more I've studied Scripture... um, the more I've, I've come to this conclusion that the abuse of a thing does not require the removal of a thing. For instance, in this culture, far more than alcohol, sex is abused. And I've never heard any of those people appealing for abstinence of sex. As a matter of fact, a lot of the teetotalers I know got a bunch of kids. Come on, that's funny. We're just keeping it real in the house of the Lord today. Man, in my life, I've heard words abused like crazy, but no one's campaigning for silence. And good grief, food is abused. But in the church, we can't even get together without food, right? I mentioned that it's estimated 100,000 deaths per year because of alcohol abuse. There's over 300,000 deaths a year because of obesity-related disease in the U.S. Not to mention the billions, with a B, of pharmaceuticals used to treat the symptoms of obesity and the diseases, the corresponding diseases of obesity in our culture. And yet no one's saying we should permanently fast, which, by the way, is a terrible idea. Please don't do that. So other people appeal for biblical moderation, right? But I've watched this judgment in my generation of people who have a different view than you about alcohol, whether it should be completely abstained or whether it's an issue of personal freedom and liberty. And I've watched us judge one another of you're more spiritual or less spiritual based on whether you have this view. As a church, as, as we've proclaimed here, the gospel of grace, and let's let the scriptures guide the conversation. And 
We see in the New Testament people partaking of fermented drinks. It was not grape juice. Do not minimize the miracles of Jesus. It was wine. It was the best wine. There's no such thing as the best grape juice. But for anybody here who enjoys a glass of wine, there is such a thing as good wine and bad wine. Right? Easy, tiger. (laughs) I set you up for that one. As where I was going with that was as we've been more honest about the scriptures here in this church, people have been more free to be honest about the fact that they drank. And it reminds me of uh, the last church I worked at before I moved here was a Presbyterian church. And you know the difference between a Presbyterian and a Baptist. The Presbyterian will say hello to you at the liquor store, not pretend like they don't see you, right? Um, one day in our office, Monica, Monica Martin said, I'm calling you out right here in front of God and everybody. She goes, why has all of our church just started drinking all of a sudden? I'm like, Monica, they're just being honest for the first time in your life. But issues like this, where my personal view of something now determines another person's spiritual value, is adrift. Let's stay in our lane. Back to a far more serious one. I believe our flesh tends to drift in every generation towards being insider-focused. Every generation has to steward a drift towards genuine spiritual friendships that make us oblivious or maybe even ignorant of those who are turning to God in the community. That when we show up at church, we're so quick to go talk to our friends that we walk by three guests on the way and never say good morning to them. That we love our community group so much that when a newcomer shows up, we're barely even welcoming to them because we're with our friends. Right? That we want to hurry up and get to church to get the best parking spot. Let's be honest, Temple doesn't have that problem. Because, you know, people ask me, hey, so what are we running? And I'm like, at 1030 or 1045? Because that's two very different answers. Because, like, half of us come at 1045. So, um, we want to be focused on the outsider who's turning to God. And I don't say this as as shots fired at any other church who does this differently. This is not a veiled criticism. The reason I don't have a parking spot in front of the sanctuary, but rather park in the farthest south parking lot in front of the gym every Sunday morning, is because I want those who are turning to God to have a good parking space if they show up here on a Sunday morning. Right? It, it's the, the Bob Goff quote of biblical love is a race to the back of the line. How quick can we make space for those who might be turning to God? Um, as we've had a, a bit of a growth spurt here lately, um, the math just doesn't work for the number of toilets we have in the foyer. It just doesn't work, right? So I want to encourage you, with this, and we've said this in years past before we went to two services and then hashtag COVID. Um, starting next Sunday, the cafeteria is going to be open and unlocked. And we want to encourage those of you who are regular attenders to use those restrooms. Come in that entrance, park in the back by the gym so that we can leave the welcome center area free for our guests. 
who need to be welcomed at the center. Right? Make sense? If you see someone in line to get a coffee that you've never seen before, I would encourage you to say, would you like to go ahead of me? Now, if they're like, I've been here for 20 years, you just need to meet some people. Don't feel bad. (laughs) Maybe you're just not that observant. But may we not drift towards being insider focused. That's where I'm going with that. Um, May we continue to have a passion for those who are turning to God. Part of that click thing, by the way, becomes almost a competition with other churches, right? It's called church tribalism. And I just want to say this. I, I do not believe that Temple is in competition with any other gospel preaching churches in this community. Not at all. We're not threatened by their growth, by their outreach. Now, there's a couple churches that we are in competition with because they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not they do things different. Not they have a different philosophy of ministry. No. Uh, there, there's some churches, as a matter of fact, with the same Baptist brand who are literally spewing ignorant, racist, bigoted hate in the name of Jesus. We do see that as a competition to the truth. There's, there's another church in town that's growing really good right now that's literally proclaiming a false gospel. But for a like-minded church, we want to see them thrive and grow. They're not our competitor. We're not intimidated by their success. Um, if you have a friend who's like plugged into their church, please don't invite them to come here. We're not trying to take people out of their community. We want them to thrive wherever that is. And now if they're not thriving there and they're like, maybe I would do better in a new environment or whatever, come on. You can skip ahead of me in the coffee line. We'd love to have you. Here's another potential drift in our community. And I think this is going to be one of those moments that I say something and many in the room are going to go, well, duh, that didn't need to be said. But I think this needs to be said. I think there's a temptation for Christian education to become an idol in this church. That maybe because we have a Christian school, we would accidentally send the message that the spiritual people send their kids to Temple Christian School and the lesser Christians don't. And I just want to clearly proclaim this morning, you're not a lesser Christian if God has not called you to place your child in a Christian school. Now, if the reason you haven't done so is you can't afford it, please come talk to us and we'll show you our financial aid program. But if God has not called you to do that, we cheer you on. That's, that, you're not a lesser Christian. And I don't, let me say that, I'm I'm not saying that because I feel like that's the temperature in the room, but I want to say that out loud so it never becomes that. May somebody never feel like they were welcomed or really a part of the congregation because they chose a different educational path. That is educational circumcision. God help us to stay out of that lane. Another trend that has existed through all 2,000 years of this thing called the church is celebrity culture. That the movement orients more around the person who does the talking than the one that we're proclaiming. That we orient around the messenger instead of the message. And and I just, again, it could go without saying, but I just want to say this church is not about me and it is not for me. And I beg you, if, if Jesus decides to call me home tomorrow, please keep following after Jesus together. It ain't about me. 
This isn't my show. May we not ever follow a personality. And if you are here for a personality, you can find a lot better ones than me. (laughs) That wasn't supposed to be that funny. (laughs) And God help us, may... Here's the last one. Um, There's a pressure in the way that we do church in America that's so defined by numbers and attendance and budgets and stuff where there is a tendency to drift into compromise in order to get a crowd. I believe there's going to be an alignment, a gravitational pull in our generation to change what God's word says about things like sexual ethics. And I just pray by God's grace that we'll stay in our lane. Even when all the traffic is going a different direction. God, may we stay faithful in our generation to truth. The reason this is heavy on my heart is this. And I'm fixing to like say stuff that isn't in the Bible. So don't like say Doug read this in a commentary somewhere. This is just a thought. I just think that those dudes who said circumcision is necessary. I just think their motives were pure. And they had a blind spot. And I think that's true of every generation. We've got blind spots today. Ten years from now or twenty years from now, I might see some things and go, I can't believe we ever did that. Right? And I want us to just remain sensitive as a family to say, we will lay down all of our preferences to stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's why. Because we've been entrusted with a heritage. Last Sunday, I was sharing some of our history at the Discovery Luncheon, and the Holy Spirit just impressed on me to, to just remind us today where we all came from. Grace, can you put that picture up? This... This is our origin story. An open-air tent in 1945 started not by clergy, but by a couple who lived in East Fort Worth and had a burden that this neighborhood would hear about Jesus. Not that this neighborhood would hear about a style of worship or a dress code, that this community would hear the story of Jesus. For the first several years of our existence as a church, we had a pastor a year. Somebody would just commit to come fill in until we called a pastor. The Davis family just had a desire that East Fort Worth would stay in our lane, (laughs) proclaim the story of Jesus. And there's one more picture here. This is Brother George and Miss Edith Crittenden. A lot of you know the Crittenden's. Brother George served as our pastor here for 35 years. I think I've shared this story before. If I have, it's been a long, long time. So I want to share it this morning. My wife and I moved here in 2009. Um, Served here for about a year and a half on staff before I was asked to serve as interim pastor for about nine months and then was called as pastor. And within weeks of being called as pastor here, I went and picked up Brother George's house, and I took him to lunch at the old Abuelos location, the one that is now a 24-hour urgent care place. You know what I'm talking about? That old Abuelos had a big fountain in the middle of it, 
and I got a seat next to the fountain. We ordered our, our meals, and I had a yellow legal pad and a pen. And I said, Brother George, I'm not just here to catch up or see how you're doing or to talk about our kids. I'm on a mission today. I want to know what are the key driving statements, thoughts, ideas, philosophies that define three and a half decades of ministry at Temple? I want to hear that from you. He said, I don't understand what you're asking me. I'm like, you know, like your core values, your vision statement, your mission statement, like what, what was the stuff that like got you up in the morning and, you know, drove what was most important to you? And he said this, I don't know about all that. We just really wanted people to meet Jesus. And I'm embarrassed to tell you, I went, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, what were... (laughs) But like, what else? I mean, under your leadership, we started a Christian school and daycare and all this real estate stuff. I mean, there had to be more than that, right? And he just very kindly, not at all condescendingly, smiled at me and said... You know, you young guys, I love when I'm called that. Happens less and less by the day. He said, you young guys have all these vision statements and all these core values. And he said, I think they're great. He said, in our day, we weren't smart enough to do all that. All we wanted with all of our heart was just to see people in East Fort Worth get saved the end and then we sat there for the rest of that lunch and he just shared story after story after story of ordinary East Fort Worth families whose lives have been forever transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning I just don't want us to rush past this text and say in our moment in our generation Let's just commit together to stay in the right lane. May we not get distracted with lesser things. May we not lose our way. And if we do, may someone lovingly, kindly, boldly say, Hey, dude, we're drifting. We're drifting. Because the whole point of this thing is that we might make much of the story of Jesus. For the sake of this community, for the sake of these families, for the sake of the next generation, and for the sake of the world. I said earlier, can you imagine what would have happened if they would have gotten their moment wrong? And I guess I would just conclude by saying, can you imagine... What would happen if we get our moment wrong? Let's be all in together to make much of the gospel of Jesus Christ.